You're listening to the Vital and Thriving Podcast for Congregations Building Beloved Community. I'm Scott Sherman. And I'm Claire Dietrich Rana. We're two freewheeling, fun-loving, kind of ridiculous Episcopal priests. Speak for yourself. Serving the people of God and God's church here in the Bay Area. While supporting each other and you in noticing and responding to the movements of the Spirit in this unique moment we find ourselves in. Welcome to yet another episode of the Vital and Thriving Podcast. Scott, tell us about our guest today. Today is going to be so good, Claire. It is Reverend Lena Thompson. Uh, She is the pastor of the Lake Burien. Burien? Burien. Burien. Presbyterian Church in Burien. Burien. That's right. Really? Yes. Yes. It's part of the greater, greater Seattle area. You know, for a number of years, I have been uh, serving adjacent to Lena in this really fantastic ministry known as Street Psalms. Uh, That's P-S-A-L-M-S. Quite a memorable name. Um, It serves leadership networks all over the world. And their mission is transforming vulnerable urban communities into cities of peace for all people. Uh, it's how I got to know her uh, because the Center for Church Innovation that I lead is an academic partner uh, in Street Psalms Global Training Collaborative. And she's been a transformational leader herself as the pastor of Lake Burien Presbyterian Church since 2015. She describes her congregation as a community that is trying to see what the gospel fully alive looks like. I love that. What does that mean? (laughs) Melina says it means being willing to take risks, being willing to engage in tough conversations. It means giving each other lots of grace. The gospel fully alive means growing in love for God through worship and service and making sure they're centering God's heart for those who are most marginalized in their community, particularly the voices of young people. Well, and I know she's also a leader uh, within the the Presbyterian uh, Church, uh, PCUSA, uh, and in the Seattle Presbytery. Uh, Lena is a woman of color who is also just navigating all the complexities of leadership in the world that is the mainline church. And I'm just so glad we get to learn from her today. Welcome, Lena. Thank you. Good to be here. We we got here. We did. We're here. And we are here together. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to start off, Lena. I know just from, uh, you know, meetings I've been with you in, uh, in with you and on Facebook, that you're kind of pretty into football, right? I am. I'm very sorry that I saw some Seahawk grief on your Facebook page. Yeah. There was. How how did you feel about the Super Bowl this year? Um, you know, well, it's kind of weird because when you're when your team's in, it's way more stressful. When they're not in, you can kind of just you can chill out a little bit. Um, it was an interesting game, I think, with all the stuff that was happening leading up to it and some of the, you know, all the conversations around injuries and things like that. And so I I thought it was a good game. I will say that I was disappointed in how it ended. 
you know, the penalty. That was just like, oh. wow. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. though, even though it was a good call, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a good call. It's just like, wow, that's really a bad way to end a game. Yeah. Other than that, the game was really good. <laughs> uh, it, it really was. And, uh, I would say the worst thing about the whole thing were those Jesus commercials, which... Oh, don't even get me started. Yeah, well, this will turn into a very long podcast yeah. if, we talk about the, <laughs> if we talk about the cost of the Jesus commercials. Um, I, there, one of the reasons I'm asking about football is because I know you are related to a pretty famous football player. Yes, yes. So my brother, Jack, he... Uh, you know, it's kind of funny when I say this now. So he was a um, an All American football player, college uh, college football player, then was drafted into the pros, um, and he uh, got this nickname, the Throwing Samoan. I, the lo- throwing I love that Samoan. name. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it was kind of weird. We we laugh about it. I think he was a sophomore in college, and it was after um, the, our team played. I think it was Minnesota and he threw for an insane amount of yards and the, the reporter just named him that and it stuck and it's stuck with him for 40 plus years. People still call him that. <laughs> uh, oh so. gosh. Well, uh, yeah. I, cool. That's just very cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. And it's a, it's a big part of my story, my life, my family's mm-hmm. story, our community story. So, you know, we laugh about it, but it is, it's, it's kind of, it's an important thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm. yeah. So <laughs> this is like a lateral pass here. To <laughs> football I, to, uh, to gospel. I know just enough right? about football to make that uh, that metaphor. <laughs> I, I was so excited because this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast and I've been asked to talk about football. I love uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love that you specifically talk about the importance of the voices of young people in your mm-hmm. congregation. Um, I have a parish school where I work. I've always worked with pretty vibrant youth ministries. And I just wonder, do you have a background in youth ministry? Yes. In fact, I my background is in youth development and community mm-hmm. development and the kind of the intersection of those two disciplines and practices. And so I had, I've only been a pastor for relatively a short time, but that's kind of all of, there's a long story about how those two disciplines inform the work that I'm doing here at the church. But yeah, long history working with young people. So in our context, we hear from a number of congregations that are really concerned about their aging demographic um, Mm -hmm. and and grieving the loss of like a real presence and voice of the younger members Mm -hmm. of their community. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that situation turn around in, in your context or in mainline congregations? I think for some mainline congregations, it's a hard, it's a hard shift right? Um, because it really requires a, a different way of, uh, of seeing young people. So in a suburban context, which many churches that we're talking about, mainline denominations kind of are in that context, you know, there was a whole like youth ministry was really thriving at one point, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s. But I think as communities became more um, urbanized, quote unquote, the the ability for the church to sort of de- a lot of things that needed to happen that didn't happen. And so 
Now you've got communities that are filled with young people, maybe not white folks, young people, but a lot of communities of color that have just moved into these neighborhoods. And, you know, that given all of the other challenges that urban communities face, it's been harder for churches to make a a shift to center young people um, in the ministry. It takes an investment um, and a different way of thinking about who your congregation is in a neighborhood. Mm. Yeah. When you came, uh, when you came to the congregation, there was that. Was that? Were there any things that you kind of began to do to connect more with young people in yeah. Lake Erie? And you're also in White Center, right? Is that mm-hmm. the? Yeah. Yep. 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 So Burien is one of the cities that bumps up right to the, it's a, 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 it started out as a suburb of Seattle, then it became its own city. And so it's, you know, we're really just like you said, greater Seattle. When I got to Lake Burien to the church, this church had already made some decisions about who they wanted to be in a community that was rapidly changing. The neighborhood was changing, the school, all the demographics were changing. And so the pastor that was before me had done really important groundwork with the senior, with the leaders, the the elders and things. But it was kind of what what they really wanted, like most mainline denominations, they wanted, they wanted more diversity. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We want to reflect our community and they wanted younger families and that's really what they wanted. And I hear this all the time from churches and, but they, but they don't know how to do it. And so one of the first things that they do is hire a person of color to try to get it going, get it going. Um, And I don't think that's, I mean, it helps, but that's not the best strategy um, for Mm. a transformation like that because it takes so much work in shifting how a congregation sees itself. And really there's a lot of things that are going to have to change, have to. Um, And so, but I will say when I got here, he did a really great job with the session, the board, and they were already having important conversations, but I think they knew it had to be more than conversations. Mm -hmm. There needed to be, they needed to actually get out. (laughs) Um, And so, and so I think with my background in community development and youth development, it was kind of a, a great match for what they wanted and um, what they thought they wanted. I think mm-hmm. what they wanted and what was actually going to have to happen were like two entirely. I don't think they connected that this is what it was going to mean. The, the big surprise, right? You know, the, the work we're doing uh, in the Vinyl Thriving Congregations, we, we, we talk about this being bringing cultural change to a church. Like literally, not just like like the whole culture really has to go through a certain change over time. And it comes through, like, like you're describing, you know, uh, listening, uh, engaging, and, and, you know, trying some things. Uh, one of the things you say, um, we were talking earlier about, you know, kind of the statement of this gospel coming alive. Uh, you said that uh, uh, it leads to tough conversations. Uh, that one of the things that happens when the gospel comes alive in the congregation, tough conversations. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us kind of how your congregation, maybe some stories of how they've engaged in 
early on as this cultural shift as you're thinking about this direction. Yep. What what were some of those conversations like? Please give lurid juicy examples. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah but you but so you also many. but you also talked about giving grace. So maybe yeah. maybe a little a little of both. Yeah. So I think one of the things for, for me and my own sense of vocation and call, I had to be really, really clear at the very beginning that, you know, who I was and who they were getting. Um, because I think, uh, because I can code switch very easily. I can be in white spaces. I've learned how to do that. But I was, in some of my own background and story, the uh, other ministry organizations, big organizations that I've served in, really didn't, mm, they wanted to be diverse, but when the voices would come, it was, like I said, very hard shift, right? And so I kind of decided early on that if I was going to say yes to this call that I needed for the congregation to know right away, up front, every Sunday, who I am. Uh, I was, there were two people of color in this congregation when I first got here. Um, And so it wasn't like, I, because like I said, I can, many people of color in white spaces know how to be yeah. in white spaces. They're not very rarely are they ever invited to, or given space to, to be who they are and say what they think. And so mm. I kind of, um, with the board that hired me and because I had been working, I was a part-time pastor here. So I had three years with the board already knowing who I was. And so when the, the, the first pastor left, and they invited me to consider being the the full-time person. They kind of knew the board did. And so, you know, to, I just, you know, I think I remember the first Sunday that I stood up to preach and I, you know, they'd already heard me preach, but I don't think, I don't think I ever said, you know, if you haven't noticed, I'm a woman of color, that's who I am. And that is going to be a lot of what I bring into this pulpit, um, and so it was, a, you know, I, in the Presbyterian context and theology, the pulpit is everything. <laughs> I mean, that are. Lena, you, you have, listen, you're speaking to a former Presbyterian. I, Lena, I'm preaching 10 minute sermons now. I, can, can you believe that? Yeah. I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've changed so dramatically. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I, I think I learned that I, one of the, this is so funny. We're talking about this because one of my big questions about. Uh, ordination was, did I think I could get up and preach like mm-hmm. every Sunday? Um, so, you know, the pulpit has become a place for um, really strong teaching about justice, about, you know, public theology, all of it, because mm-hmm. I think for this congregation, you know, that that's a lot of what we did practically in terms of the ministry. Um, we, within the first two years, we took our congregation through a um, undoing institutional racism workshop put on by the People's Institute. It was, it was quite an investment, but we we're like, if we're serious, we're going to invest in ourselves in this process of, you know, putting race at, at that point, um, kind of putting race and racial equity at the center of our, you know, discipleship. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they did a good job for us. They actually did. Um, so we've done really practical things like that. It was 40 people in our congregation that half white, half people of color that mm-hmm. went through, that went through that training. Um, 
And actually, I just want to say, because we, I know this story. <laughs> and in just a minute, we're going we're to actually ask you to tell like that whole story, because I know mm-hmm. it turned into something really amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I just, before we go into the, like the depth of that story, though, um, were there, uh, like just early on, like when you're just beginning to kind of have these conversations, what was it like to, sh- to show grace as you're just beginning to kind of break the ice. Uh, Cause I imagine, you know, I just know from, uh, you know, uh, I just know that that's, you know, it, there's going to be disruption that comes into the system when that happens. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I always try to remember that people, they only know what they know. Right. And so I, I am certain that for many people, I was the first non-white, friend they ever had (laughs) let alone let alone pastor right and so there were many things like just um you know microaggressions that would often happen and me having to go okay some of that i'm gonna let slide because you're 80 you know (laughs) (laughs) um and then but there have been other times when people who are and these are that's the other part as a samoan person elders you treat your elders with respect right and so i feel like that served me very well because i there's a lot more grace in me because people are old elderly right Mm -hmm. and some people would never like i had one person say i do not know how to understand the things that you talk about but i'm going to stay because i think it's right I had one guy, I just got bless him. He passed away last mm-hmm. year. He, 90 years old. He'd been a member of this congregation for 60 years. And, you know, he said, I've been through almost every pastoral change here. And he goes, um, and because and I remember I said, you know, I just want to thank you for hanging in there. I know these are hard conversations. And he said, I've been through every pastoral change here. Why would I leave now? This is my church. You know, mm-hmm. so there's some really cool part of the grace comes from there is some amazing history and things that we can learn from these people who have been faithful while the church mm-hmm. has gone through all these kind of really crazy transitions. And so some of the elderly folks that have actually stayed have been so they have been gracious. You know, mm-hmm. the music's changed. You know, the people have changed. We took out the pews, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So there's a lot of kids running around. They're loud. All these things, you know. So, mm. I I really appreciate the kind of honesty about yeah, these tough conversations are uncomfortable. Um, so, oh, but you also say that the gospel fully alive means kind of moving through that into a willingness to try things. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Vital and Thriving, our congregations have been doing a lot of listening to God and to each other. And ministry ideas are, are starting to bubble up and we're getting ready to try some new That's things. Uh, I don't, Claire, uh, Master Yoda clearly tells us, he tells Luke Skywalker that you do or do not, there's no try. <laughs> There's no try. Master Yoda never tried running a church. <laughs> We're in. One best. does have to try. <laughs> from one time does have to, to try. Time. Fair enough. <laughs> um, 
So, Lena, what are some of the things your congregation began trying or has been trying? Yeah. I think one of the, as I listen to the congregation, especially people who were here before I got here, one of the things that they have said is we always thought we were a community church, but we're doing things in community that we never thought was a part of the church's identity. Right. Mm -hmm. So simple things like, I mean, like deep partnerships with organizations that are not Christian uh, with leaders who are not Christian. And we've done a lot of things. What we look for are people who have um, a common heart to see a thriving community. Mm. Right. That's what we are looking for because we could partner with churches, but if they don't have a heart for the thriving community, then we're not aligned in our mission. Right. Right. And so um, what that's taken us down the road is we have such thriving relationships with so many partners who are also surprised that the church is wanting to engage like this. Mm. Lena, didn't I'm just remembering now reading, didn't you and one of your other pastors get, voted as like the citizen yes. citizens of the year. We, we did. We did. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was, it was because it was it, uh, it was homeless advocacy, right? Yeah. We, um, we came alongside mobilized folks around an apartment complex that was being sold from right to a developer and evicting people like 30 days, 30, 60, 90 days. And so out of that whole mm-hmm. process of organizing, we and others um, helped um, organize around a slate of tenant protections, renters protections, which the city did not have. There was no renters protections at all. And in fact, the only city in the state that had them was Seattle. Um, and so, yeah, that, so that's, that's kind of an example of the kinds of things that we're doing. We're trying things. I think that trying things is really important. And we, we encourage that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, you don't have to, we don't have to know how everything is going. And which for me as a leader is very hard. Cause I like to know for sure, for sure. Maybe and for me, that's hard. Like It's ex- yeah. exactly. And, and also we, we want to, you know, we want to be right. <laughs> you know, we want to have a good track record, you know. Uh, uh, so, you know, we we talk about innovation um, as something that comes out of, you know, a Christian imagination, uh, the gospel fully of life, right? So if, but that innovation is, it's often a process of failure, um, you know, where you, you try things and you actually learn from what what didn't work. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know you reflect on it, and you you try something different. That kind of how the discernment happens. Why do you think it is so hard for you know pastors, priests, um, and congregations to? Ex- why is it so hard for us to expect failure mm-hmm. as part of the journey? And how have you dealt with it when when the thing didn't work out? Well, I feel like I'm. I try to model. Uh, just, just like you said, that's a lear- that's a, lear- a learning posture, um, and I have good people around me that are like uh, the team that's part of our leadership team at their church. Really, just uh, really good at trying things, <laughs> mm. you know. And so I think we have a kind of a culture, a leadership culture of let's just try it. I mean, what's going to happen? 
what's the worst thing that could happen? It couldn't work that, 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 but that's it, you know? So I think that the hard part about that is, you know, if you open the door there, you could try any number of things. Right. And so then it becomes a, you know, a prioritizing which of these things actually, oh, that's the, the marker for leadership is to go, how does this actually align with our mission? Mm. How do you know, how does this lead us to the gospel fully alive? What does the gospel fully alive look like? And so that's a lot of how, you know, we're trying to measure the ways that we are, because the practical side of this is, you know, uh, the operational stuff, like we can't fund everything, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. we're, we're trying right now, a, um, a coffee cart with some young people, to kind of do some um, uh, that eventually when it spins off, it'll be a, um, a coffee co-op um, mm-hmm. for these young people, which came out of a whole process of listening to what families needed during COVID, et cetera. But, you know, I don't know if it's going to work. I'm believing like mm-hmm. it'll work, but we, we, what do we know about running a coffee cart and going through all the processes of getting licenses to run a business, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> I really appreciate though teasing out like there's both this willingness, like this attitude of like lowering the anxiety, like it's not all going to fall apart if we just, you know, oh yeah, don't get the outcome we expect, but then that there's also this piece of like real discernment from there around yep. what you even try. Um mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. know that I've thought of it in that way before, but I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, back to this kind of hard question conversation um, that we started with. I wondered if you could share the story of the Justice League group that formed at your church. Yeah, so it was after the um, that workshop that I talked about, the mm-hmm. Undoing Institutional Racism workshop. A group from that that went through it um, said we should form a, a group that helps the church think about justice. So they named themselves the justice league. I love that by the way, that's just so cool. (laughs) I think one of the things that if, if churches can just hang on and if they can just do the really faithful things, people will come. That's what I've learned, right? Our church now, you know, we're eight years into into this and you know we have many people in our congregation that are folks that know all the things they're community development practitioners and so now we're having people come that can actually talk about issues of equity and community which is really important anyway so the justice league formed and you know for two or three so okay there's a good good example we never thought that the justice league was going to continue on forever and ever Oftentimes when churches start programs, they want to keep them around forever. But really the Justice League was formed to make sure that in all the work that the church was doing, that there was a through line of justice, a through line of understanding justice. So so now we feel like all the ministries, whether it's the youth work or the preaching ministry or wherever, that there's enough there's been enough conversations to kind of you know, make sure that there's a, ju- that we're operating with this lens of, you know, biblical justice and all the things that we do. So we don't have a justice league anymore. But that, so this is before COVID, right? But my yes. understanding is that this group then went on, like they went on pilgrimage. 
Right. We did. So that was in 2019. It was the summer right before the shutdown. Um, and we took, again, 40 people. And this actually was led by the young people in our church, the, the millennials. Um, they formed a group and they actually, they were going to do it just with themselves, the young adults. And then we had a conversation and we said, you know, given that intergenerational ministry is kind of one of our values, um, you know, we said, why don't we try this in an intergenerational way? And so we took half people of color, half folks white, half over 30, half under 30. Mm. And yeah, so we went on, a, it was a pilgrimage that um, Lisa Sharon Harper does with Freedom Road. Freedom Road, just, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. And so we went with her and man, it was phenomenal. We started in Montgomery, did a couple places in Mississippi, all the um, sites of, you know, it's kind of this pilgrimage that begins with enslavement and ends with uh, mass incarceration and kind of the, the mm-hmm. through line of the enslavement of African bodies. And so, um, so yeah, we did that and it was powerful. And that really. And was, you, you went to Ferguson as well, didn't you? And we ended up in Ferguson, yeah. Um, but I think the thing about the pilgrimage is that we had, this is the other thing that I w- I've learned, and so I've been looking for, we, we're making this a practice now every couple of years. And so taking your what you know and then actually putting your bodies in a place where, you know, that's just experiential. Um, and so that changed, that really grounded a lot of what we're able to do because enough people went through it kind of a critical mass situation. Yeah. Um, and so there's enough people that can hold down the conversation. But story's not over because they come back and then what happened? Yeah. So we, we went and we were trying to figure out how are we going to share this story with our congregation? And it was so intense. Uh, when we first got back, I just said to the congregation, I said, please give the people that went on this trip some time to process because there's just it's not we can't talk about everything that we learned and so a few people that went on the trip said why don't we let's let's do a some kind of an exhibit and so we they did and it was it i'll say it this way our team created an amazing exhibit talking about our experience there and we thought we were going to keep it open for two weeks just for our congregation. It ended up being open for two months because people, the word kept spreading about what we went, what we experienced. And it was so well done. We had people come and say, this is better than what I've seen at any of the museums around here. (laughs) So yeah, it was a thing. It was, it was totally God. Um, And, and talk about learning. Um, we realized that our space is a space that can be used for art Mm -hmm. in a very specific way because now we're using the space um, probably twice a year for um, local artists. And we kind of want to open up our space to be a place for healing. Um, And so, yeah, so that's part of our art ministry is to figure out how to, you know, two or three times a year, open the space up, create something that invites people to come in. They don't have to be bothered. They can come in and read, write, um, do whatever. And we've done that. Um, I mean, and, like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people came to this 
1100 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, i was like why did we charge admission <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's the perfect end note. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Lena, thank you so much for making time to share with our congregations today. This has been yeah. really, really beautiful. Yeah. So, Lena, Scott, we've come to the lightning round. This is a tradition here on the Vital and Thriving podcast. Deep tradition. <laughs> so, Lena, here's the deal. You have 20 seconds or less. We're very rigorous about timekeeping here uh, to answer each of these three questions. All right. Ready? Okay. All right. First, first, what is the best thing you ever ate at a church potluck? Go. Yeah. So we had a great egg casserole at Christmas breakfast. Mm. Yeah. What was in it? You got to say, you still have time. Spinach, oh, spinach, mushrooms, bacon. It was awesome. Cheese, all of it. Nice. Next, what is your very first memory of a worship service? Go. Uh, Mount View Presbyterian Church when I was a child. Yeah, and it was scary. And I was sitting in the back row with my family, my brothers and sisters. It was scary because we were the only non-white people in this worship service. Mm. Wow. And that's the first thing you can remember. Yep. Wow. Wow. Finally, tell us the name of a church leader, theologian who isn't a white male that you're, you know, listening to or learning from right now that you just think we should know about. Okay. Yeah. He would be really mad that I brought his name up. His name is uh, Tally Harrison. And he's a colleague actually here in the Seattle Presbytery. But I feel like Tally is on to some really profound. Um, learnings and teachings about leadership, um, about leadership in the church. And he's, yeah, I've known him for a really long time, but I'm always really curious to, to know what he's thinking about things. And he's very accessible, very local, and he's a good friend. Mm. Hmm. If you could, uh, I, I'm just piqued my interest. If you could maybe share like one leadership idea you've gotten from Tally that, yeah. you think has been helpful for you? So years ago, um, so Tally and I have been friends for over 20 years. And so we've been doing ministry and partnership together for quite some time. But one of the things that I I knew, but I don't think I really knew until he said it, was that white folks think that leadership development is done like I'm going to develop you. Right. It's a one to one kind of thing when actually what we really believe is that leadership is formed in community. Mm. Right. And so I think that's probably what I think about that a lot. Like when I'm thinking about leadership development for me as a pastor is huge. Um, like I want to make sure that folks that come through Lake Burien that that, you know, you can, it's discipleship, but there's also this this way that we help people see themselves as leaders and as contributors to the, the work of the kingdom. Right. And so now I understand in the context of our congregation that we can be a leadership development body of people. So mm -hmm. what does that look like? Um, how do we, when we're talking about young people, what is the space that we as a community create for them? And then that makes 
leadership a cultural piece. It's not an indiv- it's not the job of the the staff, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. That I, that Tally's given me a lot to think about. That, um, yeah, that's leadership community. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Lena. We've just Thank really you. enjoyed having you on the show. This has been great. Well, thank you. It's been fun. (laughs) So, Scott, what did you learn from Lena today? Oh, my goodness. Um, So many things. You know, just Mm -hmm. uh, I I love talking to people who are just, you know, naturally, like they're just naturally gifted as leaders. And um, Mm -hmm. it hasn't necessarily come. I mean, even though there's all the training, like it's not necessarily coming out of some training course or volume, they're just, they almost have to pause and go, Oh yeah, I do do that. And uh, yeah, this is what we did. Uh, You know, she's, she's somebody who's just, she's just, uh, she's just a good leader through and through. Um, You know, what I found uh, really resonant though, was when she was talking about this, this person who's uh, uh, a leader in the Seattle Presbytery, uh, Tali Hairston. Um, when she was talking about, you know, uh, leadership development being something that happens within community and that that's mm-hmm. particularly true in, you know, communities of color. Um, yeah. uh, what I was actually thinking was now I, I know exactly the kind of, you know, culture of whiteness she's talking about, you know, the kind of yeah. executive development sort of way of thinking. But when I think about my own formation as a Christian, I grew up in a, in a little white church out in the country uh, working class folks, little Baptist church, but it, there, it was deeply communal, you know, like mm-hmm. older people came to my baseball games and it, it wasn't pretty. They weren't there for the, they weren't there for the sports. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there was just like this intergenerational, uh, care, love. Uh, there was just an openness to, you know, like people, actually saying, you know, you ought to try this. You know, I think mm-hmm. you could do this. And then, you know, giving you a good pat on the back and then giving you more responsibility later. I, it occurs to me that yeah. my my own formation, you know, as a young Christian kind of discerning a call to ministry, it came out of a community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's why it changed my life. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that's something we really need to, learn and recover you know yeah. in our in our congregations if we are you know if you're if you're recruiting someone to be the senior warden for the fifth time um mm-hmm. you may not have a leadership development culture in your community <laughs> right mm-hmm. um yeah how do how do we as a community encourage you know broader broader you know participation and engagement uh, yeah. One of the things we're learning, I think. Yeah. How Makes me think about all yeah. of those um, Bible scholars who note that in the Hebrew, when God is addressing you, it's always a plural you. It's like the y'all. Um, yeah, I, I know I know that pronoun very yeah. well, Claire. The I, y'all pronoun. I grew up with yes. it. And, <laughs> and when I get angry, it comes out again every now and then. <laughs> I still say y'all from my years in the South. Um. Yeah. Gosh, I just, I also learned a lot and really appreciated 
how she spoke out of her real lived experience. Um, I was struck when she was talking about uh, mainline congregations, mostly white, that talk about wanting diversity and more children. Um, That's a very, very familiar narrative. Um, And what struck me is how, how often what communities are sort of saying with that is this almost just this like box checked, like, oh, well, we just want more people of color and more kids, but like nothing to actually change. Um, and that she's pointing yeah. <laughs> to like, well, I mean, for these things to happen, there has to be deep change. And what struck me as she was talking and actually describing the journey her congregation took into that deeper change is like, wow, we're so daunted by the the work but the the dream for these things is actually holy, and the work itself will actually bring about the fruit of a more vibrant congregation. Yeah. It's just like somehow there's this hurdle over like, but it's not just a box checked. It's this deep willingness to like be transformed as a community. Yeah. Um, but I think when you when I hear from people like Lena who've really walked that walk, I'm just reminded of the like, well, yeah, but the hope, like, yes, it's it is change, and there's things to be grieved and, and losses and all of that in change. But also there's so much beauty and new life on the other side of it. And I think hearing from people who've done that is so inspiring. You know what I think she's telling us we need to see happen in our churches, Claire. We need to see, we need to see the gospel come fully alive. Mm, <laughs> and I think we got to, I, I know I was inspired with just what that might might mean for us. Hey, everybody who's listening, uh, thank you. Thanks for being with us today. We look forward to sharing another episode with you really soon. Goodbye. This episode of the Vital and Thriving podcast was hosted by Claire Dietrich Rana and Scott Sherman. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jeremy Sherman as tribute to Django Reinhardt and the Hot Club of France. This podcast is part of Vital and Thriving Congregations, a joint initiative between Newbigin House of Studies and the Episcopal Church in the Bay Area, the Diocese of California. Visit vitalthriving.org for more information. <laughs>